morning, Mark chapter number 12, beginning in verse number 28, the Bible says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. The scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Underscore that. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. I want to read that last verse again. We take our title and text from it. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, He said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, bless your word today, Lord. Use it for your glory and honor. If there's one amongst us that's lost without Christ, I pray, Father, that you would show them their need of you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do in our hearts what is most needful. God, give us a burden for our lost loved ones. Not just a passing concern, but Lord, a true spiritual, scriptural burden for their souls. Father, we love and thank You for all that You have done and all that You will do. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I want to tell you, I love the book of Mark. I believe the book of Mark is probably the most neglected of all four Gospels, and it's sad that it is. The book of Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. It is one of the synoptic Gospels, meaning that it deals with the same things that uh, Matthew and Luke deal with. But Mark is full of little nuggets of truth that you don't find in Matthew and Luke. And I've read this passage many, many times, but as I poured over it again the other day, the phrase struck me and stuck in my mind, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Uh, You know, the Bible is filled with instance after instance of people who were almost saved. You say, what is almost saved? To be almost saved is to be eternally lost and damned. The Bible's very clear that uh, salvation uh, in the term of redemption is not a progressive thing. You're either saved or you're not saved. The Bible teaches that very clearly. And so a man that is almost saved is just as lost as a man that has never given any thought to Christ's salvation. 
In this passage, we're told of this young man, this scribe, and we uh, assume that he is a Pharisee. And this young man, this scribe, comes to Jesus and begins to ask him some questions. But the chief is this. What's the greatest of the commandments? Or if I could put it in today's terminology, what's the most important portion of God's Word? You see, what this young man wanted was not necessarily to know God, but being a scribe, he was wanting to understand more of his trade. The scribe's uh, responsibility was the copying and studying of God's Word. But it's interesting that this young man that had been so exposed to the Word of God still had never accepted the Lord. Can I give you a warning today? Just because our children and grandchildren grow up in a biblical environment, that does not mean that they do not have to be born again. In fact, I found uh, many times, you know, I was a youth pastor at a Christian school, and uh, next to the devil, uh, there's just about no one more ungodly than Christian school kids. Can I get an amen on that? Uh, I was one of them, I know. And I found in a Christian school environment, both in growing up in a Christian school, but also in being a youth pastor and ministering at a Christian school, that some of those Christian school kids, my friend, are hard as a coffin nail. I mean, they've heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it. And they don't want to hear it anymore. It's one thing to have an academic knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it's an entirely different thing to have an effectual knowledge of Jesus Christ. We find in this young man's life that he had a lot of things right, but he missed the main thing. And so this morning, uh, the purpose of this message is twofold. There may be someone here that has religion. That won't help you in the day of judgment. There may be someone here that has morality. You know what morality is? Morality is the devil's substitute for spirituality. That's what morality is. Morality won't help you in the day of judgment. Oh, the only thing, my friend, that will help you is if you are truly born again. The old songwriter wrote about two coats, the old and the new. Uh, he had to put off the old one and put on the new, and he said that it's good in the judgment and it's good in the storm. And the only thing that is going to stand the all-seeing eye of God is if the righteousness of Christ has been applied to your account. I want us to look at a few things this morning from this passage. And you'll find parallel accounts of this in Matthew chapter 22 and also in Luke chapter number 10. But it's in Mark chapter 12 that we have this little phrase used. And so that is our text today. Uh, the context of this passage is that Christ has just got through confounding the Sadducees. In fact, it's a very familiar portion of Scripture to anyone that studies the Word of God in which the Sadducees come who did not believe in the resurrection, mind you. And they come to our Lord and they say, if a man has a wife and he dies... Now, you read between the lines and get in the Hebrew and Greek, they're saying if his wife killed him, amen. But uh, saying if a man has a wife and he dies and his brother marries his wife, which was the custom, and then he dies and then the other brother marries the wife, and seven brothers do this. Let me just pause and say, number seven ain't got a lot of sense, does he? But uh, all seven of these brothers marry this wife. In the resurrection, who does she belong to? Christ answers saying that ye err, you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. 
It says that in the resurrection we'll be like angels and that we'll not be given to marrying or to marriage. Now, that does not mean we're going to be angels, we're going to be saints, but what it means is that uh, the superfluous and superlative love of God is going to abound in our hearts, something greater than even marriage could ever understand or convey. But this is the context. And I imagine this young man is sitting back and listening to Christ speak and listening to the power of the Word of God drip from his lips, and he begins to think within himself, you know, maybe there's something to this Jesus fella. Can I say to you that Christians all live in such a way that lost people look at our lives and say, you know, maybe there's something to this Jesus fella. We all live in such a way that people see something different about us. And it makes them want. You know, Christ said, you're the salt of the earth. You ever eat something real salty, a bag of pretzels or potato chips? What's the first thing you do? You start to get thirsty. If a Christian's living like he ought to be and is the salt uh, of the earth, then he's going to make people thirsty for that drink of water. But that's another sermon for another time. I want us to notice a few things about this young man. I want us to notice that he was sitting here and listening to these men discuss and listening to the Son of God reveal truth that his interest was now focused on the Son of God. You can write that down if you want. Look again at verse number 28. And one of the scribes came, now notice this, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well. Who? perceiving that the Son of God had answered them well. I want to stop for just a moment and say that, number one, part of the reason his interest was focused was because his foundation had been shaken. In Israel during this time, the ultimate authority on all things political and civil and religious was the Sanhedrin made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. The main difference between the Pharisee and the Sadducee was that the Sadducee did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. But in most points, they were similar. And as Christ had been sitting and having this discussion with the Sadducees, this man began to see religion in a different light. Can I tell you this morning that a man will never be born again until he's had his foundation good and shaken? until he comes to a place where he recognizes that maybe what he knows and what he believes and what he's grown up with is not absolute truth until he comes to a place where he's willing to hear the Word of God and see it as truth. He's never going to be saved. I'll tell you one of the greatest tragedies of modern preachers today is they've quit trying to shake anybody's foundation. We live in a day where we want to present Jesus on the buffet of religion. Just another dish, another God for your pantheon. Just another element to your religion. Just another block in your schedule. Let me tell you something, neighbor. That is not how people come to know Christ. When I came to know Christ, I understood one truth good and well. I understood that if I didn't accept Him, I was on my way to hell. My foundation had been shaken. Listen, I grew up in a Bible-believing church. I mean, I grew up in an old-fashioned church. I mean, I grew up in a fundamental church. I mean, I grew up in the kind of church where if you laugh, they'd look at you wrong. Amen? I mean, I grew up in a solid church, you know. And I was taught the truth my whole life. I mean, I, I go in, they had a children's church ministry much like we do, and I go in and I'd listen to the uh, preacher preach. And, uh, but, you know, I was a church kid. I, I didn't ride on the van or on the bus. and I, So I'd come back on Sunday nights and I'd hear the preacher preach. And there'd be times I'd go on a Wednesday and I'd, I'd hear the preacher preach and I was saturated with truth. But it wasn't until the 
great God in heaven and His Son and His Spirit convicted me and showed me that all my knowledge in the world won't make up for my sin. My foundation had to be shaken. I had to be made aware that something was wrong in my life. I had to be made to understand my insufficiency. But I want to say not only was His foundation shaken, but I want you to write this down. His future had been studied. What was it that they had been discussing just a few verses earlier? They had been discussing the resurrection from the dead. Now, I don't know whether this young man was a Pharisee or whether he was a Sadducee, whether he was either. I assume that he was one of these classes of men. Uh, But I do know this, that he had been privy to that conversation. And what Christ had been imparting about the future of the soul and about the future of the body and about the future of our life had penetrated his heart and mind. It got him thinking about eternity. Let me tell you, when a man gets saved, a man gets saved when he gets eternity on his mind. That's when he gets saved. When he begins to think about where he's going to spend his everlasting eternity. Let me tell you something. The Bible teaches very clearly that eternity is not an option. Now you say, preacher, I thought we had a choice. No, you do have a choice. But eternity is not an option. You will spend eternity... Somewhere. Let that sink in for a moment. You, now let's take it word by word. You, and I want you to say me. You will spend eternity. That word eternity, our finite minds cannot even wrap around. We do all we can to describe it. We try to put parameters on it. But in putting parameters on it, we lose the meaning of the thought. Eternity, more vast and more infinite then our minds can ever understand you will spend eternity somewhere. I completely reject the false doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventists and other uh, groups that teach that total annihilation is the destiny of the unbeliever. I do not believe that one bit. You say, why? Because I'm a Bible believer and my Bible still has the parable, or not the parable, but the story of the rich man and Lazarus. When I read that passage, it tells me that in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments. Let me tell you something, neighbor. I believe he's still in torments today. If we could pull back the veil of the damned and look within those charred walls, we'd see a rich man with terror and horror on his face. Still suffering. Still burning. You'll spend eternity somewhere. And I kind of believe this young man just sat there and thought, you know, if this is true, I'm going to spend eternity somewhere. Uh, Let me say that eternity is a decision of finality too. Whenever, wherever you, you know, the Bible says that as the tree uh, falleth, so shall it lie. That's what the Bible says. However you die, that's how you're going to stay. You say, what do you mean? If you die redeemed, you're going to stay redeemed. Hey, if you accept Christ, you're going to stay redeemed. But if you die without Christ, you're going to stay without Christ. If you die unsaved, You're going to stay unsaved. There's no other options. There's no other choices. This is the time frame in which you will make this decision. I believe this young man, his future had been studied. But I want to say a third thing, that his faith had been stirred. What does it say there again in verse number 28? It says that he had answered them well and asked him, which is the first commandment of all? He said that he had perceived that he had answered him well. 
Now, I know we're getting a little technical this morning, but the Bible says that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know that Jesus Christ is the living Word, and we know that the Word of God is the written Word. And so even though that not every word that Christ spoke was recorded, uh, we know that when He spoke, He was the Word of God, and He spoke truth. And we know in this passage that as He spoke the Word of God, something happened within this man. Let me tell you what it is that brings sinners to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, When the world by wisdom knew not God, God chose the foolishness of preaching. The Bible says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but it is the power of God. That's what you're saying. Let me tell you what it is that works a miracle in the heart of a sinner, and that's the Word of God as it's preached and given. You can believe what you want about this, but the Bible says God has given to every man the measure of faith. I believe that every man has the capacity to believe, but the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. When you're witnessing to someone, don't use your own opinion. Memorize Scripture and quote it to them. That's not to say you shouldn't give your testimony. That's not to say you shouldn't expound on it. But the Bible says of uh, Philip that he began at the same point and preached unto him Jesus. He began at the Scriptures and revealed Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch. What changed this young man's heart and began to work in it was the Word of God. It stirred his faith. Uh, you can believe there again what you want about this, but the Bible says we're dead in trespasses and sins. You ever seen a dead man get up and walk around? I haven't. You ever seen a dead man have an opinion? You ever seen a dead man start to do anything? And uh, on the extreme, you ever seen a dead man been born? The Bible says we're dead in trespasses and sins. Dead man has no capacity to do anything in and of himself. Something must give him life, even before he can respond. The Bible teaches us, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. How do you reckon God did that? When the Word of God is presented to us, it gives us the capacity to understand who God is and to accept Him. You say, well, what about the pygmies in Africa? I'll tell you, neighbor, there's a lot I don't know, but I know that there's none other name given among men, given under heaven, whereby you must be saved. Only by the name of Jesus Christ can a man be born again. That's the only way. And I know this, that until the Word of God is applied to a sinner's heart, they'll never be saved. I want you to notice a second thing. Not only was his interest now focused, but he illustrated a new faith. Look again at verse number 32. He begins to answer the Lord. And our Lord's words are quite familiar to us. The Lord says, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy strength, thy mind. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And uh, the, He says that these are the greatest commandments. In another account of it, our Lord says, On these hang all the law and the prophets. But what's this young man's response? I want you to notice that he did respond in faith, but his faith was not complete. I want you to notice what he says in verse number 32. And he says a couple things that are imperative, important, absolutely vital for a person to be saved. I want you to look with me again at verse 32. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. I want you to notice that he speaks of the immutability of the Scriptures. Now you say, Preacher, are you saying everybody has to be saved out of a King James Bible? No, that's not what I'm saying. The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But what I am saying is this. Until a man accepts the Word of God as truth, he will never be saved. A man cannot be saved until he recognizes that the message being given to him is true. 
People don't accept Christ on an academic level. It must penetrate to the heart. They must believe that what God says about the matter is true. You say, what do you mean? Uh, When a man's born, he doesn't even realize he's a sinner. Did you know that? The Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man. The Bible says that every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Let me tell you something, neighbor. When a person's born, they believe they're right. And unless God changes something in their heart, they're always going to believe they're right. Oh, they may believe they're wrong on a few points, but no more wrong than anyone else. They won't see until they see from the Word of God that they're lost. But I want you to notice, secondly, he believed in an infinite and sovereign God. Look what it says. Thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but He. If I could use descriptive language, I would say he showed a faith in the exclusivity of God. What did he say? He said, there's one God, none other but He. A person will never get saved until he is aware that Christ is his only hope. Now, you say, preacher, this is a lot for a sinner to soak in. No, most of it's just common sense if you listen to the gospel. Uh, You don't have to have a theological degree to be saved. You don't have to be able to read. You don't have to be able to write to be saved. Uh, You don't look at Larry Solomon, amen. You don't have to be able to do any of those things to be saved. But you're going to understand these things. You know why? Because when you come to Christ, you come to Him because you've got no hope. You come to Him because there is no other way. You've got to believe that there's one God. There's none other but He. You say, I don't believe that. We'll disagree with Jesus Christ then because He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This whole many roads lead to heaven garbage is straight out of hell. This whole many many roads lead to heaven garbage is what sends people to hell. This whole many roads lead to heaven garbage is just making a way for the one world government and empire of the Antichrist. Let me tell you something, neighbor. Uh, The Bible teaches very clearly that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He understood there was one God, none other but He. I want you to notice, secondly, He understood the insufficiency of the sacrifices. Look at verse 33. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love His neighbor as Himself, now underscore this, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. You know what He's understanding here? He's understanding that the law is insufficient to save him. He's understanding that there is a new and better covenant. He's understanding that there's something greater than the Old Testament law. He's understanding the Old Testament sacrifices can't save him. You say, well, that's good, preacher, but I've never believed that the Old Testament sacrifices could save me. No, but a lot of people are going through this life believing their own sacrifices can save them. Let me tell you why most people do not get born again. Listen carefully. Most people do not get born again because they think everyone else's sins are worse than their own and that surely God, being so much like themselves, because that's a lie that this world has taught, is that God is so much like us that surely He won't be too upset at my sins. The average sinner does not think he's a good person. The average sinner just doesn't think he's bad enough to go to hell. It's not that they believe that they are so righteous. Because most sinners will confess to you, hey, I mess up like everyone else. But what they'll say is, 
But the big man upstairs... Can I tell you that I absolutely loathe and detest that terminology? Neighbor, he is not the big man upstairs. He's God in heaven. So he's not the big man upstairs. But they think, well, the big man upstairs, he'll understand and we'll be square whenever I get there. Who's going to square you up? Who is it that's going to make a way? Who is it that's going to stand in your stead and on your behalf? If your righteousness isn't good enough, whose righteousness do you need? You see, the problem is, he was beginning, before this, he thought, well, I'm a good man. I'm a scribe. I offer sacrifices like everyone else. I'm a part of the religious system. I'm a good man. Now he understands, but you know, as good as I am, I'm not spotless like that lamb. As good as I am, I'm not without blemish like that lamb. As good as I am, I'm not perfect like that lamb. Let me tell you the sad thing, neighbors, that even though he could see he wasn't as good as that lamb, he could never see that that lamb had made a way. We see that he understands the insufficiency of the sacrifices. But what's sad and tragic about this story is that he fell short. You say, preacher, he fell short. Do you mean he sinned? No. What I mean is that he understood some things about the gospel and about God. But the Bible teaches us that he never accepted Jesus Christ. As far as we know, this man is in hell this morning. We know no different. I don't know what transpired in the rest of his life. It is quite possible that he accepted the Lord at some point. But as far as the record of Holy Scripture is concerned, as far as we know, this man is in hell this morning. I want you to notice the tragic thing. We see that his interest was now focused. We see that he illustrated new faith. But the tragedy is that he inquired no further. Look what our Lord says about him in verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Now, let me make a theological clarity here that may not make a difference to some of you, but it may to others. I've seen uh, groups that believe in sinless perfection on this side of eternity and believe in works mingled with grace for salvation use this kind of terminology. In fact, I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be a sign right out here on Central Avenue Pike like you're going from Merchants over to Callahan. And it said that the kingdom of God is not a decision you make. It's not a place that you step into, but it's a journey that you take. Something along those lines. And a person might be inclined to think as he reads this passage that Jesus is saying you're almost good enough to be saved. But I want to clarify that he's not. And you say, how do you know that, preacher? Because I want you to notice what the Lord said. It doesn't say when the Lord, when Jesus saw that he was a good person. It doesn't say when Jesus saw that he went to church. It doesn't say when Jesus saw that he gave to charity. But it says when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly. Jesus is not dealing with this man's works, but with his words. He's dealing not uh, with His ability and not with His talents and not with His devotion, but with His faith. He's going off what the man says. And when he saw the answer discreetly, he said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. I want you to notice first off, and we'll just touch on this. 
I want you to notice that in this passage, we see that he gained the attention of the Savior. Let me tell you something. When the Spirit of God is working on a person's heart, God's interested in that. And they had the attention of the Savior here. The Bible says that Jesus saw him. Jesus was paying attention. In other words, the Son of God was right there, willing and ready to save him. You can believe what you'd like about this. We can fight about it if you want. But uh, I believe that Christ will save any man at any time if he's willing to be saved. Now, you say, don't you believe they have to be under conviction? Well, yes, I don't believe they're even going to want to be saved unless they're under conviction. But if they're coming to the Savior, I believe they're under conviction. They have a desire to be saved, and that desire is not natural because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. So evidently, there's something going on in their heart and life. That's why they're there at the Savior. In the Bible, Christ made this statement. He said, I will in no wise cast out any that come unto me. God was willing to save this young man. But we see not only... This is so sad. We see not only uh, the attention of the Savior, uh, but I want you to notice the testimony of the seeker. What did Jesus say about him? Thou art not far. Thou art not far. You're almost there. You've almost got it. You know most of what you need to know. What was it that he was rejecting? What was it that he missed? He understand it. He understood his hopelessness, but he could not grasp the hope that the Savior offered. He understood that he couldn't save himself, but he did not understand that Christ could save him. He understood that he'd spend eternity somewhere, but he didn't understand that the Lord prepares a home for his beloved. He understood that what he had grown up believing was not completely accurate. He understood there was something greater than Old Testament law and that he was in a mess. But he just could not see that Christ was the way out of the mess that he was in. Let me tell you what's imperative, Christian. That we make sure that our friends, our family, our neighbors, our loved ones, and our co-workers know that Jesus Christ is the way. They need to understand that the only way is Jesus Christ, but that He's an open way for them. That they can be saved. You say, preacher, are they going to get saved if I tell them that? No, I'm not saying they're necessarily going to get saved. Each man makes his own decision. But I'm telling you this, they'll never get saved unless they understand that. That's what this young man was missing. He could see everything else. He could see his hopelessness. Let me tell you something. In this lost world that we're living in, hopelessness is not on short supply. Turn on the news sometime. This world knows it's in a mess. Turn on the news. We got people walking into schools and killing children. I didn't say that guns were walking into schools and killing children. Amen? Let me say that again. I did not say that guns were walking into schools and killing children. Amen? I said people are walking into schools and taking guns and killing people. All this... Oh, boy, I, I better preach something else. Amen? Let me just say that when a person gets fat, they don't blame their spoon, do they? But this world knows it's in a mess. They know that they're in a mess. They just don't understand the answer. We've been sold this, this lie 
that the reason it's hard to witness to people is because they're so saturated with the gospel. Get out and talk to some people, friend. You'll find that people are not saturated with the gospel. They're saturated with a false gospel. It's not that they know so much about Jesus Christ and choose to reject. Now, there are people like that. But the whole of society, the majority of society, have been saturated with false gospels like works mixed with grace, like baptismal regeneration, like salvation through the church and its sacraments. That's what they've been taught. Who's it up to to bring them the true light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? It's up to you and me, isn't it? It's our responsibility to do that. I want you to notice that we see here the attention of the Savior and the testimony of the seeker. But we see the tragedy of this story. The Bible says, And after this no man durst ask him any questions. The Lord said, You're not far. But he walked away without saying anything else. He didn't ask him any further. You know, if it was me... I don't want to put myself in biblical uh, shoes and and then judge other biblical characters for the way they acted. Truth be told, you and me, we'd be a bunch of scoundrels if we was in Bible times. Amen. But but I I would think that the, the right thing to have done would have been to say, how do I get there? What am I missing? You say I'm not far from the kingdom of God. What am I missing? But this young man just turned and walked away. Every man makes his own decision. Anybody that tells you, listen carefully, I'm going to help your soul winning right here. Anybody that tells you that if a person that you witness to doesn't get saved is because you presented the gospel wrong, they're a liar. And if anybody ever tells you that if someone didn't get saved that you're witnessing to, it's only because you didn't pray enough, they're lying. Now, that's not to say there aren't times when we go in to witness to people and we've not prayed and our heart's not in the right place and we could have been a more effective witness. But at the end of the day, every man makes his own decision. Every man makes his own decision. God created Adam in perfection, put him in the Garden of Eden with everything that he needed. He still sinned. He still made the decision to do wrong. Every man makes his own decision. But let me tell you this. That young man that walked away, he could have come back the next day if he had chose to. He could have come back in a few minutes if he had chosen. Maybe he did. We don't know. The tragedy of this story is that as he walked away, you almost wonder to yourself, did anybody else cross his path that loved him enough to tell him the truth? Did anyone else that crossed his path love him enough to give him the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ before it was everlasting too late? Let me tell you something, friend. Many of us, I won't ask you to raise your hand right now to this. Because I've seen you raise your hands. I've raised mine. I know that most of us have loved ones that are lost. People that we care about. I'm talking about people that break our hearts. That do not know Christ. Let me ask you this. What are you doing to bring them to the Savior? How often do they cross your prayers? How often do you call their name out to the Lord? How often when you're around them do you bring up Christ's salvation? I know what it's like dealing with family. I know what it's like. I know what it's like for them to shut you down, turn you off. I know what it's like to try to witness to people that you love and have them say, 
Don't start in on all that mess with me. I know what that's like. Every little old lost sheep wanders until the shepherd finds them. Every little old lost sinner is going to be mean and hateful, say things they shouldn't say, be rude, because they don't understand that you do it because you love them. But love is not stopping with your witnessing. Love is not choosing to let them go the way they're going. Love is to continue to call their name out. Love is to continue to call the Savior's name to them. I'm going to give you one more story and then I'm going to close. Many of you know a preacher in the area, Buster Seaton. Buster prayed for a lot of years for his brother Jimbo. How many of you all know Jimbo Seaton? Raise your hand. How many of you all knew Buster? A few people. Prayed for a lot of years for Jimbo. Jimbo was, Jimbo was a bit of a maverick. He was a rounder. I mean, Jimbo would, he drank and, and cussed and gambled and stay out and everything. And Buster prayed for a lot of time, for a lot of years for Jimbo. Every time he got together, he talked to him. One day, Buster was getting ready to leave the house and he'd been talking to Jimbo and Jimbo hadn't been listening. Buster began to, to leave and he backed the car up to where Jimbo was at and he rolled down the window with tears in his eyes. He said, Jimbo, he said, I, I've talked to you a lot about the Lord, but I'm going to try to talk to the Lord a little bit more about you. Along with your talking to your loved ones about the Lord, be sure that you're talking to the Lord about your loved ones. Make it a matter of personal, particular, persistent prayer. You say, what do you mean by that, personal? Meaning you don't just pray for it at church. You don't just ask for a prayer request at church. Personal prayer. Particular. Don't just pray that they'll get... Uh, get in a better place or find someone. Don't just, don't just pray that they'll find a church. Pray that they'll be born again. That's what they really need if they're not saved. And persistent. Don't give up. I promise you, however long you've prayed, eternity's longer. However many tears you've wept, hell is bigger. However much effort you've put in, it won't weigh against the angst they'll go through. Be persistent, personal, particular in your prayer for your loved ones.